Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our mothers, and we ask you to bless all the mothers in the world today. Give them the strength to persevere through challenges that they face and the wisdom to guide their children, even as adults, in the right path and, encourage to, and, the, and the courage to overcome any obstacle that may come their way. May their hearts be filled with joy and their minds with peace, knowing that their efforts have not been in vain and that their love and care make a difference in the lives of those around them. We thank you for the gift of mothers and we pray that you continue to bless them with your love and grace. In your holy name we pray, amen. 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 So. Um, to honor our mothers that are here today, as you uh, leave today, we've got some roses for you out by the front door, so we'll be out there to hand over roses to the mothers, so please let us know if you're a mom, and we will gladly put a rose also, as is much the way we do things. There are treats and goodies after the service in the back, um, in the, it, that's for everyone, not just mothers, but guys, mothers first, come on. Uh, you know they're going to take like one little thing and then the rest you'll, they'll, you know. I just also want to remind you of the, the women's breakfast coming up. Please, if you're a woman. <laughs> May 20th, here, 10 to 1230. You can still sign up online to attend, to come to that. It's going to be a blessing. It's actually a great opportunity to bring a friend who maybe doesn't go to church or doesn't have any kind of relationship with the Lord, this would be a great opportunity to kind of get them um, introduced. There's a lot in the message last week and this week about overcoming the obstacles of bringing your friends to be introduced to Jesus. Hello! Okay, just saying. All right. Let's pray for the service this morning, shall we? Lord, I just thank you so much for this day that you've given to us, the time that we could come and to worship you through our song, which we've done, Lord, where we could come and worship you through prayer and through study of your word, Lord. I thank you so much that you've preserved your word for us today, that we can have it open up on our laps today, that we can be looking through it, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that as we were getting up and getting ready to come to church today, you already began to overturn the soil of our hearts, that we might be able to receive the seed that you're casting, Lord, that it might take root and grow to a thousandfold, Lord. Lord, I pray in in your name, Jesus, amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to, I think, finish chapter 9 today. So go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bible with you or you need one today, just put up your hand. And Jack and Cesar have Bibles. They will be more than happy to put a Bible in your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, I would tell you to just take this one home with you. We have loads of Bibles. And so um, we would just love for you to take this one home. Um, So... One Mother's Day, (laughs) three sons were discussing the amazing gifts that they had each given to their elderly mother. The first said, I built mom a huge house, 10 bedrooms, eight bathrooms for her to live in. I am the best son ever. The second son said, well, I got mom a brand new Mercedes with a driver. 
so that wherever she wants to go, all she has to do is get into the car and tell the driver, and he'll take her wherever she wants to go. The third son said, I've got you both beat. You know how much mom enjoys the Bible, and you know that she can't see very well. I sent her a brown parrot that can recite the entire Bible. It took 20 monks in a monastery, 12 years to teach him to do that. I had to pledge to contribute $100,000 a year for the next 10 years, but it was worth it. Mom just has to name the chapter and verse, and the parrot will recite it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Soon afterwards, this mother sent letters to each one of her sons. Milton, she wrote to the first son, the house you built is so huge. I only live in one room, and yet I have to clean the whole place. (laughs) Marvin, she wrote to her second son, I am too old to travel. I stay home all the time, and I never use the Mercedes. And by the way, that driver's really rude to me. Dearest Melvin, she writes to her third son, you are the only son to have the good sense to know what your mother likes. That chicken was delicious. (laughs) (laughs) That's more of a Mother's Day, not a Matthew chapter 9 thing, so it's just, I'd throw that out there. (laughs) Well, uh, last week we, we left off uh, in chapter 9 of Matthew, and we have, we kind of ended with, with Jesus quoting Hosea 6, 6. And then he, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he goes on to say that I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This would have been a little bit of a shock to the Pharisees because the Pharisees believed that you had to clean yourself up first before you came to the Lord. But Jesus is saying, come to me as you are, and I will make you clean. See, in 1 John 1, 7, it says that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But how does that happen? Well, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if if we come to Jesus in confession, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I actually think that this is why people tend to stay away from coming to church because they think they have to get cleaned up before they come. You know, Jesus doesn't expect you to come to him clean. He wants you to come to him to be cleaned. Last week, he also reminded us, though, that that being cleaned by Jesus doesn't mean that he's going to repair your old life, but he's, going to, he's not going to put a new patch on an old garment. But he came to redeem your life and to make you something new. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. All things have become new. As Jesus is there, in the house of Matthew, uh, a tax collector that he has just called to follow him. Remember, he goes to this despised Jewish tax collector and he says, you follow me. You come along with me. You accompany me. Let me teach you 
says Matthew got up and he went. Matthew, I think, was so blown away by the fact that Jesus would call someone like him. He throws a big party at his house and he invites everybody that he knows. And who does he know? Tax collectors and sinners. Fills his house up with tax collectors and sinners. And there's Jesus sitting amongst all of these tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees are looking in and they're appalled by the fact that this man, Jesus, who's supposed to be a rabbi, is sitting with these tax collectors and sinners because they, number one, would never do that. And number two, you know what I think? I think they're like, why isn't he sitting with us? We're the pious, righteous Jews. Why doesn't he want to spend time with us? Rabbis should want to sit with rabbis. And Jesus is like, no, no, I didn't come to hang out with you. I came to heal those who needed forgiveness. Well, it's, while he's there and he's giving them the, these very wise words, it says in verse 18, and this is where we pick up today, while he spoke these things to them, Behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, My daughter has just died. Come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Okay, so we know by the other Gospels as well, we know who this guy is, and we know a little bit about his situation. His name is Jairus, or Jairus, or whatever it is, however you want to pronounce it. I'm going with Jairus, just for the rest of the morning. Jairus, it says in the other Gospels that he was the ruler of the synagogue. So let me just explain a little bit what that means. It was like the guy that got the synagogue ready for the Sabbath day. He got the scrolls out. He made sure that if there was a speaker, a rabbi traveling through town, that he had the opportunity to speak, which is why you see Jesus going in and teaching in their synagogues all the time. It was this guy, Jairus, who would be kind of like the caretaker of the synagogue, making sure that everything was ready for the teaching of it. And there was one synagogue in Capernaum, and he was the ruler of it. It's this guy. He comes to Jesus in this moment, and he says that my daughter is dead. Now, the other two Gospels put it slightly different. They said that she was on the brink of death. Like she was going to die. So he comes to her and says, my daughter, my only daughter, my 12-year-old only daughter, she is just about to die. <clears throat> what would make this guy, this devout Jew, this ruler of the synagogue, come to a seemingly rebellious rabbi and what would make him think that he could do any of the impossible things that he's asking him to do? What would make him think that? Do you remember me saying last week that Jesus' physical healing of the paralytic man was for the purpose of testimony about his divine authority? Remember, he, he forgave the man's sins first and then when he heard in their hearts, the Pharisees say, this guy is blas speaking blasphemy. He said, so that you know that I'm not speaking blasphemy, so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, rise up and walk. I will heal this guy so that you could see that I have the power to do that. And if I have the power to do that, then I have the power to forgive sins. And he used a physical healing as a testimony of his authority of who he, to who he was. And I suggested that many times the physical healings that Jesus did were for a purpose beyond just the person's individual need. Well, Jesus comes to, Jairus comes to Jesus with an impossible ask. My daughter is dead or she's, she is just about to die. Please come and lay your hands on her. 
Had he heard of Jesus? Remember, he's in Capernaum. This is Jesus' kind of like hometown at this point. This is where he operates out of. Lots of things have already happened. Maybe he's heard of the amazing things. I think it's actually more than that. You see, there's a story in the Bible about a man with a withered hand. Remember that? Jesus goes to the synagogue, by the way, on the Sabbath day in Capernaum. And he says to this man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he heals his hand on the Sabbath day, much to the chagrin of the Pharisees who are standing around like, I can't believe he just healed. Isn't that strange? They're like appalled that he healed on the Sabbath day, healed somebody on the Sabbath day. But this was in the, this was in the synagogue in Capernaum. Who, who's the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum? Yeah, Jairus. Is Jairus there like watching, peeking through, watching Jesus do this? Is he witnessing with his own eyes Jesus miraculously healing a man with a withered hand? Now all of a sudden he's thinking, my daughter is sick, she's at the point of death. If he could heal that guy, maybe he can heal my daughter too. I wonder though I wonder how long he waited I wonder how long Jairus waited to go to Jesus he'd seen he'd heard I know his daughter's now sick it wasn't like she got ran over by a cart it's she was sick. How long did Jairus wait before he actually came to ask Jesus for help? Did he literally go and try everything else first? Did he exhaust all of his own efforts before he thought, maybe I should go to this guy who can do impossible things with my impossible ask? All right, I lost my place. <laughs> I think we do this. Don't we do this? We run into some kind of a situation or problem in our life, and we think, I'm going to exhaust all my, my, all my efforts, all my finances, all my emotions. I'm going to exhaust it all trying to fix it. And then at the end of our rope, it seems, is where we all decide to find Jesus. If you picture your rope, and at the end of there is a little sign that says, now go to Jesus. It's like, we've reached that end. And Jesus would say, take off that sign, put it at the top of your rope. <laughs> Do you know that it says in Psalm 63, 1, oh God, you are my God. Early I come. Early. And I don't think that necessarily means early in the morning, although it could. But in, in that context of that verse, it means early on in this, whatever situation I'm in, early I come to the Lord. Early I come. And we just aren't great at that. We're not great at that. You know, because we're like, oh, I could do it. I could fix it. I can make this work. I can find a solution. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, pray, pray, pray. And we're like, I did. And he says, at the end. Pray at the beginning. Amen. Ask, seek, knock. <laughs> nice. 
Jairus goes to the synagogue in search of, or he goes to Matthew's house in search of the one who he knows can probably do something in this impossible situation. He thinks that I am, I cannot do anything else. I have to go to the one who can do the impossible. And he simply said, I, ju- I believe that he can do it. And so he went. You know what? I love this. Uh, on the one hand, Jairus had incredible faith to say, well, this guy who some people say is a, a rebel, all the people in my circle think that he's this rebellious rabbi who's speaking blasphemy, but I've seen, I've heard what he can do. I believe I'm going to go. And he went and he went and said, Lord, you've just come to my house and all you have to do is lay your hands on her and my daughter will live. So on one hand, he had incredible faith. On the other hand, though, He didn't have as much belief as the centurion that we just read about who came to Jesus and said, you don't even have to come to my house. In fact, don't. All you need to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. (sighs) You see, but here's the thing. I love verse 19. Look at 19. So Jesus arose and followed him. Jairus comes and says, All you, have to, you have to just come to my house and put your hands physically on my daughter and she will live. And so you know what Jesus does? He goes. Jesus does not take Jairus aside and explain to him that if he had more faith, he would understand that I don't have to actually go to your house. All I really have to do is say the words. Let me explain this to you, Jairus. He doesn't do that. He just goes. You see, Jesus knew that he didn't need to go to Jairus' house, but he knew that Jairus needed him to go to his house. And that is the compassionate, personal Jesus who wants to have a relationship with you. He is unhindered by any obstacle, but he knows that sometimes we are. And so he meets us there. Man, I am so... Glad for that. There's one more thing of note here that I see is that God uses this moment of emotional grief to break down any walls that might have kept Jairus from coming to Jesus. There are no more prejudices. He literally goes himself rather than sending a servant to go to Jesus. He is there now shoulder to shoulder with people he would otherwise never associate with because they're in the crowd because he's trying to get to Jesus. He no longer cares what the other pious Jews might think of him. All he's thinking is, I must get to Jesus. Jesus broke down any of those walls through this emotional moment uh, that was going to keep him from coming to Jesus in that moment. His only concern is, I have to get to Jesus. Like some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because it took an extreme situation in your life to bring you to Jesus. Jairus comes and says, please, please just come to my house. Lay your hands on my daughter, and she will live. And Jesus got up and went. Verse 20 says, and suddenly, (laughs) there's a big pause now, and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment, for she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. 
So now this story, the story of this woman with the blood flow of 12 years literally interrupts the story of Jesus and Jairus. Uh, and, and, and actually she interrupts their journey from Matthew's house to uh, Jairus's house. So this woman comes, it says, and she has a, a flow of blood for 12 years. This is a situation in her life that would make her perpetually unclean. If this, is, this is talking about that flow of blood that any woman at this time would have had on a regular monthly basis. Um, and you can see, if you read in the Old Testament in uh, Leviticus um, it talks about what the process is for seven days for that woman has to go out of the camp and be uh, away from everyone else. She's ceremonially, ceremonially, cer- that's right, unclean for that time. And anything she touches, sits on, lays on, wears, anything is considered unclean. It all has to be cleansed before she's able to come back into the camp for that seven day period. This woman has never had a break from that for 12 years. 12 years. Emotionally, she is a wreck. She has been outcast. She has not had any kind of connection to even her family for all of this time. Physically, she is drained. You need blood. There's iron in your blood. You need that. So she is emotionally drained. She is physically drained. She has, we know from the other gospels, spent all her money on doctors and physicians and healers who were not able to help her. She is down to the end of her rope. She's got nothing left. And she thinks, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, he can heal me. Oh, man. If I could just get close enough to just such that she makes her way through this crowd. I think she is praying every second, please don't let anybody recognize me. Please don't let anyone see me as she's creeping in to this crowd up behind Jesus, trying not to be seen by anyone who might see her, recognize her and say, unclean, and call her out in front of everybody else. And she creeps in and she just reaches out her hand to touch, it says here, the hem of her garment. There's more to this gang. It wasn't that she was saying just like the edge, like I would say, here's the hem of my shirt or the hem of my pants. It was more than that. Every Jewish man on his garment had a border around theirs with tassels hanging off the four corners on purpose. The tassels, you can read about it in the Old Testament. The Lord said to Moses, tell every man that he is to wear a border of blue with tassels that has a blue thread woven into it. And the purpose of that is to identify them and set them apart. I didn't even think about that. Blue. Yeah. Yes. We got it. I ironed a wholly d- different shirt altogether and I was like, I'm going blue. The blue thread in the tassels was to show that they were set apart from all others, set apart from the other men and the other um, tribes or, or, or villages or groups of people that the Jews were, the Jewish men were set apart from them and <clears throat> that they were obedient to the commands of God. That was the purpose. That was what they wore, that the hem, the border and the tassels on them. And that's what she looks at. And she says, if I can just touch that tassel at the end of his garment that I could be made well. This is what she reaches out to touch the thing that set him apart 
from the others. What others? To her, that set him apart from the other physicians, the other healers, the other ones that she had already given everything to with no result. The other places that she had looked to to make her complete had left her empty and still unclean. So many of us spent years looking for that person or substance or job or thing that was going to make us complete or clean. Or whole, only to be left felt left feeling more empty, more fractured, still dirty. But then we heard of this man, the one who makes the unclean clean, the, complete, the incomplete whole. And, and we thought, like this woman, if I could just get a little of him. And you reached out your hand, and like this woman, you got more than you bargained for. You know, she said, I just need, I just need a little. And you see that she touched him and was made completely whole, completely cleaned, not just physically restored, but we'll see that Jesus in the other gospels calls her out. Who touched me? Who touched me, he says, and he's looking around. Did he know? Come on, it's Jesus. Who touched me? And the disciples are like, who touched you? Everyone. Look at the crowd. Everyone touched you. And Jesus said, no, there was someone. Someone. And you know what happens? This woman, it says in, in, the, in Mark and Luke's gospel, it says that she did not want to come forward, but then she did. She said, it was me. Even though she had felt at the moment that she touched his garment, that the fountain of blood dried up, that she was healed, she was going to slip away not wanting to call attention to herself or Jesus, but Jesus was like, no, 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 you're not going to slip away. Who touched me? She comes forward. Look what it says. I don't know where I am. He says this. He turned and he, he saw her and he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Do you know that's the only person that Jesus calls daughter in the New Testament? Daughter. You who have been outcast, neglected, unloved, pushed aside, ridiculed for the last 12 years, daughter, he calls her. Your faith has made you well. How come Jesus didn't just let her slip away? He coulda. He coulda known it and said, no, no, I'm not just going to let her go. Why did he call her forward? Why did he make this big deal? You know, he was going to restore her physically, but I believe he was also going to restore her communally. All of a sudden, now everyone knows who knew that she was unclean for 12 years. Now everyone knows she's clean now. She's been restored. Remember what he said to the leper, go and tell the priest so that you can be brought forward and that he could say, this man is now clean, restored to community. Same thing. This woman might, have been, might as well have been a leper, except that she wasn't dying in the same way, but she was outcast in the same way. And Jesus says, you're not going to sneak away. You're going to be restored, wholly restored. And there's another reason too, but we'll get to that in a second. He says, you, your faith has made you well. 
Maybe you're here, though, but you're st- and you're still like that woman. Maybe you're still searching for who or what will make you whole, complete, or clean. And you, you will, I'm telling you, you will spend all of your resources trying to find that thing or substance that's going to make you whole. You will not find it outside of Jesus. But unlike this woman, Jesus is facing you with his hands out to you, saying, come and be made clean. It says in verse 23, when Jesus, uh, so, okay, pause. (laughs) Matthew just goes right on. I'll right to the house. In the other gospels, this is what happens. As he's, you know, Jesus, now he's taking the time to to, um, confront and and bring forth this woman so that she could be restored in front of everyone, that that he could could call her daughter, um, that she probably hasn't heard that in so long. And, you know, where's Jairus? She's like, oh, Lord. Trying to be patient. You know, if, if, I, 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 if it were me, I'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Great, you're healed. Good, come on, Jesus, come on. And there's Jairus. And, 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 and so this is what happens, right? Right at this moment when Jesus is like, he calls this woman daughter. He says, your faith has healed you. She gets up and I, can you imagine the joy on this woman's face? And she's just like, thank you, Jesus, thank you. And she goes off and maybe people are hugging her for the first time in 12 years. Along comes a servant from Jairus' house. Don't bother the teacher, Jairus. Your daughter's dead. Oh, man. Jairus, who had come all this way, just tore down every wall to get to Jesus for the sake of his daughter's life, his only daughter, is now standing there. He, he, I mean, imagine the hope. He's like, Jesus was coming with him, and they're going through the crowd, and all of a sudden he stops so that he can help this woman. And there's Jairus. He's like, okay, 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 come on. I'm just going to come. You come. And they come and say, it's too late. She died. And I'm sure that he was just like, and then Jesus, it's not in Matthew, in Mark and Luke, Jesus looks at him and he just grabs him and he says, Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. Oh. In fact, in Greek it says, believe alone. He might as well said to him, faith over fear, Jairus, faith over fear. In that moment, And I believe that right there, when Jesus is saying, only believe, he points to the woman who had just been healed of a 12-year flow of blood and says, Jairus, only believe that I can do what is impossible. You know, Jesus hadn't really revived a lot of dead people yet. One person that I can think of, one person, Lazarus comes later. Just a couple of days before this, actually, Jesus had gone up about 25 miles north to the city of Nain with his disciples and his group following him. And they came face to face with a funeral procession coming out of the city with a widow's, son who, a widow's only son had died. And Jesus took that son by the hand and, and revived him right there. That, and, I, and so did, did, had Jairus heard that? I don't know how quickly that kind of news travels but it had only been a day or so, and it was 30 miles away that that happened. I'm sure that Jairus is like, well, I guess that's too late. And he says, Jairus, believe alone. Just 
believe. It says that they make it to his house. And when they came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. They come to his house. Now it was actually tradition and actually mosaic law that when someone in your family died, you were required to have at least two flute players and one professional whaler singer, right? And the, the more money you had, the bigger the band, essentially. And they would all sit out there and they would wail and, and make sure that everybody knew who was in the area that someone in your household had died. And so by the time that Jairus gets back with Jesus, there's already flute players and whalers at his house wailing along and playing along. And, and uh, you know, in the, in the show, The Chosen, they actually do a pretty good job at portraying this. They've got the flute players and the whalers there. And, and, uh, um, and you can imagine, um, Jesus comes upon this scene and he says, when he, it says here, make room. In Greek, you know what it says? Go away. <laughs> he says to the flute players and the mourners that are there being paid to cry, go away. There's no room for this false mourning, by the way. Go away, for the girl is not dead, but she is sleeping. And it says, they heard him say this, and they ridiculed Jesus. Like, they're laughing at him. They think, oh, what a fool. He doesn't know what he's talking about, which is so ironic to me that they say Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to the matters of life and death. And Jesus says, no, no, she's not dead. You know what dead is to Jesus? Eternally separated from God. That's death according to the Bible, an eternal separation from God. He says, she's not there. She's simply just sleeping, and he takes her hand. By the way, Jesus, breaking all the rules as he goes along, right? Because you could not touch a dead body. You would be defiled. Jesus comes in, and he says, no, no, she's not dead, and I'll prove it to you, and he takes her hand. And he tells this little girl, get up. It says, but when the crowd was put out, he went and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. Do you know what he calls her? It doesn't say it here. You have to read the other Gospels. He says, little lamb. He takes her by the hand, and he says, little lamb, get up. And, and that's how he sees us. Little lamb. <clears throat> and it says that the report of this went out into all the land, you know, in the other Gospels, he says, don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> really? Jesus is so funny that way. I just raised your daughter from the dead. Shh. Don't tell them. They just had mourners playing flutes and wailing outside their house so everyone would know. And so Jesus says, don't, don't tell anybody. But the news went out into all the land. Now, it says in verse 27, when Jesus departed from there, Two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Two blind men following. Uh, this, here's the thing. It is not easy for blind men to follow anyone. They're blind. 
but yet that did not prevent them from making their best effort to follow Jesus because they knew he was the one that was going to be able to help them. Again, I go back to the what kind of obstacles sometimes have to be overcome to truly follow Jesus. These guys that brought their friends that was the paralytic to him had to overcome many obstacles to bring him. These two blind men, imagine the obstacles that they have to overcome just to follow him. They, they have, they've got their sticks, they're feeling around, they're asking people, is he still going this way? Did he make a right? Did he make, do you know which way he's going? And all of that, they have to overcome all of that to follow Jesus. They're crying out, son of David, have mercy on us. This is really interesting. They call out son of David. That was a messianic term. That was saying, we recognize this guy is the Messiah. Ironically, the blind guys can see who Jesus is better than the Pharisees can. The blind guys can see Jesus for who he is. The Pharisees are blind to the fact that he is who he is. They call out, have mercy on us, son of David, have mercy. That was what they called. They came asking Jesus for mercy. Their sole appeal was for mercy. We see no talk of merit or pleading about past suffering or how they had persevered despite hardship, only a call for mercy. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon, which is so good. It says, he will never win a blessing from God who demands it as if he had a right to it. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on us. Do you see this though? They had to follow him all the way to his house or to the house that he was staying at. Lord, son of David, have mercy. And they're going along and, and Jesus is just like, <laughs> you know, seemingly ignoring their request for mercy, right? But he was like, no, I want you to follow me to this place. I want you to come along. I want you to ask me more than one time. I want to see if you will be diligent in your praying, praying, praying. He doesn't actually answer them until they came to the house. And when he came into the house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus said, do you believe that I am able to do what it is that you ask? Do you believe in what I can do, what you're asking me to do? Do you believe I can do it? And they said, yes. Yes, we do. They said yes, and their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them. This makes me laugh out loud. Jesus says to the blind guys, see that you tell no one. <laughs> I think Jesus goes, do you see what I did there? See what I did? <laughs> see that, you, that no one knows it. Again, two blind guys who had just come across town feeling with their sticks and rolling the wall and asking people which way did Jesus go, now come out of this house able to see... And Jesus says, make sure nobody knows it. <laughs> but when they had departed, they spread the news about him all over that country. <laughs> so they're not starting off so great in the obedience department, but they're so overcome with joy that they're just like, we can't help but tell everybody. We could see. We could see. The really cool part is what a great example this is of someone who was blind, couldn't see the truth, couldn't see anything around them, but had their eyes opened by Jesus, and then what do they do? They tell everyone. 
Isn't that what we're supposed to do? And I know some of you are. Excellent. Some of you not so much. We can work on that. Let your eyes share that with somebody. My, that's called, you know what that's called? Your testimony. My eyes were blinded. But Jesus opened up my eyes to the truth and he saved my soul. Can I just tell you about what he did for me? I'm not talking about you. What he did for me. Remember the guy on the, uh, in the Gadarenes who was demon-possessed? And Jesus said, you can't go with me, but you can go and be a witness to how gracious God is to you. And he went in and was an incredible witness in the capitalist of ten cities, so much so that when Jesus showed up there, they all knew about him. He literally went back and said, this is what he did for me. And they were like, well, man, if he can save you, he could save me too. Oh, man. Guess what? He can. Yes, he can. He touched their eyes, and according to your faith, let it be so. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that you tell no one. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in the whole country. And they went out, as they went out, behold, they brought, now this is, as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon possessed. Literally, these blind guys go out and they bring another person right in. They're just lined up. They bring this demon possessed man uh, who was also mute. Do you know what? I, my wife told me something the other day. I've been thinking about this and thinking about this. We've talked about it occasionally. Like, how come we don't see like, like demon possessed people here now all the time? Like, it seemed like he was casting demons out all over the place there. And how come we don't see that now? And, and really, you know what it comes down to is I think that only Jesus knew whether they were demon possessed or not. How am I supposed to know that? How am I supposed to know whether someone is or not? I'm just going to pray for them. I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. But I don't really know what's going on. They brought this man. He was mute. A demon possessed, it says. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. (laughs) Jesus demonstrates an amazing power right here. Right? It was believed that you had to get a demon to speak its name. I mean, this is what they believed. I don't know how often it happened. But they believed that you had to get a demon to speak its name so that you could grab a hold of that name and then pull him out of that person. Jesus says, I don't need you to speak. Get out. Because I have all authority. I have all power over everything that's been given to me over the entire world. All the earth is mine, he says. All of it is mine. I don't need you to speak. Get out. And immediately the man spoke. What does he say? Doesn't say. Can you imagine? Ah, thank you. <laughs> Does anyone have a lozenge? <laughs> he probably, yeah. <clears throat> thank you. <laughs> but everyone sees it and they marvel, says the multitudes, marvel saying, it has never been seen like this in Israel. When you hear Israel, we think the country. There was no country of Israel. They're saying, in all the people. In all of the people, we've never seen anything like this happen. You know, sometimes people say, well, did they have, you know, exorcisms? And, you know, did the, did the Jews practice exorcisms? I've done a lot of research, and I still really can't see definitively. They had process, but did they ever do it? I don't know, but this verse is saying, we've never seen the likes of this in all of our people. 
Not a problem for Jesus because what's impossible for man is possible with God. It says that when Jesus went about all the cities, oh wait, excuse me, 34, it says, but the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. <laughs> They're so jealous. This is the best they got. This guy casts out demons by the power of demons. And Jesus is going to address this later on because they're going to bring it up again because they think, ha he didn't say anything. We got him. He's just biding his time because later he's going to come back in and be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> do, do, why a demon casts out a demon? A house divided will fall. He says, that's ridiculous. That's the best you got. Good luck. He doesn't even address it here. He goes out went out about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Two things I want to point out. There's a specific order here. What was his main purpose for coming? See it. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. Main purpose for why he came, calling sinners to repentance. And because he was full of compassion, he healed. And because he wanted to use many times physical healings as testimony for who he was, the one who was able to forgive sins. That's the order that we get here. The other thing, the word every, every sickness means every kind of sickness. It doesn't necessarily mean that every single person who was sick he healed. It says that he healed every kind of sickness that was brought before him. But look at this in verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. When Jesus sees the multitudes, even though many of them were sick or ailing, he sees them as weary because they have no shepherd. And that's what moves him. Sheep without a shepherd describes what mankind is apart from God. This is what moves Jesus. Mankind apart from God is a sheep without a shepherd. That is why he came. That's why he came. Then he says, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He says, pray for those. Do you see what it is like? But, oh, this is one thing that I saw for sure. The harvest is not ours. The harvest is plentiful, but it's God's. The harvest is God's. We're just workers in the field. We are workers in the field so that God can harvest. Amen. And we're going to stop there. Read on chapter 10 next week. Finally, we're going to get there. Um, let's pray. Father God, I do thank you so much for your word and for these just incredible applications, Lord, that you, you have um, brought out of your word for us today. Lord, I pray that uh, we would not wait until we get to the end of our rope to call on you, Lord, but we would seek you first, as your word says, and then you will give us all the things that we need. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that's still trying, that is still exhausting all of their resources and efforts looking for a way to be made whole and complete and clean. Lord, I pray that they would just realize that it's you who will make them complete and whole and clean and no one else and nothing else. All other things will leave them empty and fractured and dirty.
Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that hasn't believed that you died for their sins on the cross, that today would be the day. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to them even now, saying, he came to forgive you, to make you clean, to welcome, welcome you into everlasting life in the presence of the Father. Today is the day. Lord, I pray that that person would pray these words right now, actually. Oh, Lord, I realize now that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Please come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me and make me whole. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon me so that I might be able to walk in the direction that you would have me to walk in close relationship with you for the rest of my days. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, again, I just thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather here today to open up your word. I pray that you would guide us and direct us as we go out of this place. Lord, I pray as we just finished up that you would send workers into the fields. Lord, send me. Here I am. He says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.